Hey, Kim, and hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Heart to Heart Podcast. I'm Bria. And I'm Kim. And today we have the long-awaited part two to our <laughs> colorism, I guess, mini-series, maybe? Yeah, very um, mini. This is very mini. Episode, but we want to spend more time talking about colorism because there's so much nuance to it. And mm-hmm. there's so many different parts that we didn't get to hit in our first episode. Yeah, if we had hit them last episode, it would have been an hour long (laughs) episode. So that's why we wanted to split it up. And we just have more stories to tell you guys Mm -hmm. about our own experiences um, and just our own thoughts kind of about colorism in the media. Mm -hmm. We have some more discussion on that. It's going to be a fun episode. Yes. And as always, you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, and a whole bunch of other platforms. Yes, and make sure to give us a rating if you enjoy the pod. I think you have to go through Apple Podcasts to do those ratings. Yes. Take a minute out of your day and give us a little rating Yeah, if you feel like it. We really appreciate it. Mm-hmm. It means a lot. So let's, let's get into this episode. It's going to be a really good one. Yes, it is. So I guess we're going to start off kind of addressing like our own privilege within colorism because mm-hmm. we want to make it clear that, you know, in the conversation with Zoe last week, obviously in that setting, in that conversation, we are like the dark-skinned women in that conversation. But, you know, when you look at the grand scheme of things, there's so many women darker than us. Right. And I think it's just really important that we acknowledge that our experience could be a lot worse. Mm-hmm. Of course, um, you know, there are so many ways in which being dark skin has affected our lives, but it really is a spectrum and also coupled with featureism and texturism, the experiences that Black women face vary greatly and vast. Um, so, you know, of course, we do consider ourselves dark skin and we do, um, we have had negative experiences that we'll go into later. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we also want to acknowledge that there are people that, you know, have it a lot worse than we do. Um, and that's also just something that everyone should realize and understand um, and always just be aware of how uh, varied and nuanced the experiences are. For sure. And we also want to point out in the nuanced experiences, like while there is a lot of shared experience in the Black community with colorism and, you know, having brown skin and being a Black girl, it's also a very individualized experience, Mm -hmm. you know? So while I'm sure a lot of you listening can like, might be able to relate to things that we say, there's also things that you may never experience, you know? Like everything, there's a spectrum and we want to acknowledge the experiences um, across that spectrum mm-hmm. just so that we can be fully transparent um, and also not make it seem that like our experiences are the end all be all and like worst situations that could happen to dark skin exactly. women. Um, we kind of wanted to talk like, on the spectrum, I guess, yes, we're dark skin, but I feel like we're also, people would say brown skin, which is kind of in the middle of those two things, you know? And I think that there's a lot of, there's way more acceptance towards people who are brown skin than there are just like dark skin women. Mm-hmm. And I think also in this a broader conversation, we talk just about in general, how Hollywood treats black actresses in general, mm-hmm. and the roles that women are allowed to have seem very, like, shaped by colorism just like looking at the roles Lupita gets versus Kerry Washington you know or like I don't know uh, like you see like the same light skin actors everywhere Mm -hmm. 
Like they're always chosen for the feel good role. I was just about to say her. I was just about to say her. Amanda Stenberg, Stellenberg, Maybe Steinberg, and I don't know. Steinberg. Y'all know who we're talking about. Amanda and Zendaya, Yara. like, and Yara. The same romantic coming of age films. Yes, you know. And I'm waiting to see a coming of age film centered around a dark skin black girl. Mm-hmm. Even looking at your favorite Netflix shows, when they do have a black girl, she's like a best friend, maybe. Mm-hmm. No character. And she's always light skin. Have you seen that show, um, Sex Education? No, I haven't. I ended up watching it, um, I, I guess that was last year or like sophomore year, I was watching it. And when I tell you, there was no black people in that show until like one of the last, like, I, I don't know if it's season two or three, whatever the final season was that they had. Uh, there was, they introduced two black girls. One was light skin and she was like the guy's love interest. <laughs> and then they, the one dark skin girl in the whole entire show was nerdy. Mm. She was, everyone thought she was really weird. And I just did not like it. Right. Like what is going on? We see that a lot. Um, Even in Gronish, I know that like when Ryan Destiny's character was introduced, she was just like a side character. She wasn't even in a couple scenes. There's no real focus on, you know, and Brian Destiny is like, you know, brown skin, dark skin woman. Um, you just don't really see any real character development. Yeah. We're never the center of the story. And I think Zoe pointed this out really well in the first episode. But when you don't cast like darker skin women in these roles, people don't think we can come of age, that we do have all these like, experiences that we can you know have romantic yeah emotional experiences and i think that does a real disservice especially as different tropes of black women really significantly impact our experiences in this world and what we face and what we go through and so that lack of representation on the big screen shapes people's perceptions and you know what i mean and that's just extremely problematic because we constantly see darker skinned women you know, get more aggressive treatment, not be believed, you know, more likely to be victims of sexual violence. And that has a direct correlation to our representation in the media and what people think Mm -hmm. uh, the experiences of darker skinned women are. And when you put dark women exclusively in Mm -hmm. these secondary roles, it teaches people that we Mm -hmm. should be pushed to the side and not cared about and not listened to, you know? Like, that's literally what it teaches people. If that's all you see, I'm like, even in shows that were, you know, all black casts, like, um, oh, sorry, all these shows' names are escaping oh, me. Um, that show where they're people. at, like, that Ivy League, it's like a fake Ivy, and it's all those black people. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yes, you're I white people. Name, yeah. The, what's her name? Like, yes. Rochelle or Rachel? She's, like, the dark-skinned best friend. And I'm like, they barely dive into her character. Like, they, they give her, like, mm-hmm. a relationship, but... She's just she's just Zoe's best friend. And it's so infuriating. It just even in shows when it's literally centered around like the black community at a Ivy League campus. Right. It's centered around a biracial black girl who is also light skin. And everyone else is just kind of like pawns in her story. Like it doesn't mm-hmm. it just really and does I, a disservice. And I'm sick of seeing right. that. And I think a lot of it has to do with like Because we see it time and time again. The proximity to whiteness and that being seen as more palatable and more profitable. Or mm-hmm. you know, if, you know, people see lighter skinned people, 
the if it's like you know a black woman but she has a white boyfriend which is like in so many movies just so many movies um and i think again it just really presents this idea yeah. that like black stories in themselves are less profitable less valued less worthy of attention less worthy of attention yeah and it's it's really without a white presence you grow up and you see that and of course that makes you think that makes you feel you know just less valued in society and that's stuff that like you have to work through that stuff that like hits you at different points of your life and it's obviously things that have caused the deterioration of uh you know the black community over time things that are completely out of our control you know what i mean it's so sad that our worth is a function of our whiteness and our proximity to it. And if someone can look at you and point at your nose or your jawline or your lips and be like, oh, these things bring you closer to whiteness, so we're going to accept you more. Like, Or your skin tone is fairer and it's closer to white, so we're going to accept you more and give you these roles and treat you like a person. And it's sad. Of course, you know, we're talking about kind of like how institutionalized and how ingrained this is within all of us, but we have to unlearn this stuff and we have to unpack it and we have to give black experiences their due representation in all of its forms and all of its complexities because we're really facing a world in which it is so common i think on so many different college campuses for black women darker skin black women to like never find love and just never go through so many experiences because of colorism yeah and featureism and texturism like all in tandem Mm -hmm. yeah it's really sad because also like comparing my own experience and like my friends experiences Mm -hmm. to those of like you know white people that I know and white people that I'm friends with you see other people are constantly meeting people constantly hooking up constantly getting boyfriends constantly seeing this person constantly doing that and for the black community it's like slim pickings Because as a black woman, you're looking around and even looking at black men who claim to love black women Mm -hmm. so much, they go for white women or they go for lighter skinned black women. Or they feel as though the ratio is so small and there's so many women Mm -hmm. willing to date them at these schools that they don't Mm -hmm. even want to commit to anybody and they just want to use black women for their bodies Mm -hmm. and just you know, hook up with a bunch of black women and not even treat them well. And that's a really harsh reality and something really, you know, crazy that we have to grapple with, but it is the truth. And I think that a lot of people don't realize how their actions have reinforced colorism in so many ways. I definitely want to dive a little bit deeper into how you just really see, you know, black men in so many ways choose lighter skin or white women in romantic settings, but it also it's also in just regular relationships and respect and just in, you know, the people that, that they choose to surround themselves with or how they choose to interact with certain people. Like this whole idea that, you know, you could kind of like rely or like count on darker skin black women to always be there in terms of like, you know, helping you out a shoulder to cry on romantically see those relationships as something that you can manipulate. And like, you could kind of, control in the ways that you would like to because you feel that they're always going to be there for you is so problematic and that kind of like it just Mm -hmm. it just dehumanizes darker skinned women and makes us feel that we're throwaways or that like the stories that you hear about 
you know, what black women have had to face, the stories that, you know, we can sit here and tell you as well. It's really sickening. It's really sickening. I remember one time there was a story of this like black guy talking to this white guy and this is, you know, at Brown and the white guy says to the black guy, like, Oh, I like hooked up with this black girl this weekend or whatever. And then the black guy was like, Oh, like you can, I don't want, I don't want that black like anyway, like good for you, bro. Like I don't want her anyway. Like just, but making it very explicit that like it was her blackness that made her unattractive, like throwaway, not important. And you know, when you walk through campus and you hear something like that, or somebody tells you that story, you're, you're, you're not going to feel good. You're not going to feel good about yourself. First Mm -hmm. of all, both of them reducing black women to the B word and just literally showing us that they view us as throwaways. So the white man's fetishizing black women. And then the black man is like, well, I don't want them Mm -hmm. anyway. Cause he doesn't even think of us as worth it and worthy of his attention. And then because of our blackness, think about all the ways in which when we look at these movements, when we look at everything going on, how black women have consistently been on the front lines and been there and we're known as being there for our black men and lifting them up. That little story though reminds me like in the way that black women protect black men and stick up for black men. And then to hear that story and literally see a prime example mm-hmm. of yeah. when like a black man could have taken action. Like what you're saying and doing is so disgusting and how you're viewing my yeah. counterparts is so disgusting. But in that moment, he just went along with it and literally also began to pile on and dehumanize us. Like it just shows it's such a double standard, I guess, in how black women stand up for black men, but black men don't stand up for us. And I think it's just funny because Kim and I both have received messages from people being like, how do we support you? Like, we love Black women. How do we support Black women? (laughs) And I think that some of this stuff is just textbook Mm -hmm. knowledge. Like, if you see something, say something. Like, you know what I mean? Like, some stuff doesn't need to be spelled out. Because I'm sure that when y'all are all with the boys, things are Mm -hmm. said and no one Mm -hmm. thinks to stand up for anybody. No one thinks to check their friends and it's all just a joke. Everything's so funny. Yes. But no one ever realizes that these jokes represent something deeper mm-hmm. and are actually like right. leading to dangerous right. rhetoric and, and violence against black women. A lot women. of times people are so comfortable in like their position that they don't want to, you know, step out and like say something that's not on par with like their friend group or yeah. what it is. And this goes for everybody. You know what I mean? This goes for everybody. We need outward attention. We need outward portrayals of your support and your protection Mm. because we have not seen it. Black women have been killed for it. Black women are continuing to be dehumanized in so many ways for it. There is no more place for this like closed door, you know, staying within your little bubble of comfort. We need outward expressions that yeah. go beyond a repost on Instagram. We need you talking to the people that you know have actively done harm and for you to say something. We have been in so many spaces trying to make our case on campus, off campus, whatever it is, but it can only go so far if we're the only ones talking, speaking our truth and telling our stories. We need that support. And just in the ways, just in the ways yeah. that we're asking white people to even just show allyship in so many ways, 
The same thing goes for the within our community and the privileges that exist within our community. It is no different. It is no different. And so the same expectations that I have for white people, I have for men and lighter skinned women. Just like we're asking white people to use their privilege to be anti-racist, we need the people in the Black community who experience that privilege, their own privileges, to speak up for those who don't have anything and who are oppressed further. And I think also when people who benefit from these things don't speak up or at least don't show it outwardly, show their support outwardly, it Mm -hmm. empowers other people to go after us further. You know what I mean? Like, if, if people see that like people from your own community aren't supporting you outwardly, they're going to feel so empowered yes, and be like, well, no one's yes. checking for them. Nobody cares. Those are my going to be my next targets. You know, if you look at like the demographics of women and girls who are human trafficked, the majority of them are girls of color. And if the perpetrators are majority mm. white men. So again, are there stories about us? No. Does the media show us, humanize us? And so you see that, and this is a reinforcing cycle. You know, it's no more dark-skinned women are, you know, not confident about themselves. No, these are real consequences. Real consequences that we, Black women, darker-skinned women, cannot fix ourselves. I also wanted to point out the fact that men have a tendency to only want to stand up for people they find attractive, or they only value the opinions of women they find attractive. And I think mixed with colorism and all that stuff, mm-hmm. like it, yeah. all of that manifests into not caring about dark-skinned women because they don't, mm-hmm. they just off the rip because of colorism, they just don't feel attracted to black women. They feel yes. as though they don't have a responsibility to stand up for us. I mean, there's some self-hating aspects that are embedded within that. For you as a mm-hmm. whole entire black person to say that you're not attracted to black people there's an element of or internal racism that you need to work through. If you're saying you hate dark-skinned people and you're dark-skinned, you're saying you hate yourself. That's just point blank what it is. Again, it just shows you how powerful this whole structure of racism is. The fact that you can now have people hating their own kind, that is powerful. Oof. Imagine white supremacy had been good. Because I'm like, just think of like, all the things it was able to accomplish and how powerful and how ingrained it is in our society. Like all of this evil and all of these mm-hmm. horrible mindsets have permeated mm-hmm. from the top to bottom of literally the whole entire world. Imagine if this had actually been good and not evil. Like it's just crazy to think that this system has mm-hmm. had so much power over us for so many years, for centuries. It is deep. It is deep. We're sitting here talking and explaining that Black people can grow up and hate portions of themselves yes. and other people because of a system built on hate and division. That even when you have a whole entire family that looks like you, you still will sit here and say, I don't date Black girls or I don't date darker skinned Black girls. It's a lot that has to be unpacked from all sides. It's a lot of work that needs to be done. The investment in anti-racist mm-hmm. work needs to happen mm-hmm. and it needs to be so significant. If we are to achieve any type of justice for any any kind of people, 
There needs to be a complete overhaul of how we do everything. Because when you, like the current system, this stuff is ingrained mm-hmm. in every aspect. Mm-hmm. Colorism and racism is in, in healthcare. Housing. It's in education. It's in the media. It's in housing. It's in every single thing. Every single thing you are valued based on your proximity to whiteness. So yeah. there needs to be a complete overhaul of how we do everything. And with that, you also need to do your own personal work. Everybody. For everybody. Every, everyone. Yes. For ourselves, for everyone. We all Most have definitely. implicit bias. Like living in this system, mm-hmm. we have all internalized forms of racism and colorism. It just is what it is. Yes. Now, the right. important part is that you can acknowledge it and actively work on it. The people who deem themselves liberal, the people who deem themselves like open and accepting and all this other stuff. Those are the people who are most closed off to doing that self-reflection and that self-evaluation. Those people are the most toxic yeah. and most harmful. But the work is continuous and it's ongoing. And even Amy Cooper, you know, that whole story, she's a Democrat. She voted for Obama. Yet yes. she was capable. She was capable of so much hate and so much But she still felt threatened. The community. And she yes. knew. She knew how to work her whiteness. She knew how to work it. That's why it's like, I'd rather you just, I'd rather you just be open with yourself Mm -hmm. because that whole like white liberalism is literally killing us Mm -hmm. because it's, it promotes like fake allyship. And a lot of people think that they're done and they've done the work. (laughs) And I'm like, how are you 19, 20 thinking you finished? Or even a lot of these liberals, if you are older, like you're not finished. You still have so much internalized stuff and stuff that you need to work on. You can't call yourself a liberal and then see a black man crossing the street and you clutch your bag. Something's there. Like, something's there that you need to work on. I think don't ever feel like you you get it. Or don't ever feel like because you have a couple of black friends and you listen to our podcast, this is it. We're scratching the surface. And mm-hmm. also, too, these are just our two stories. There's so many biases we have. There's so much privilege we carry. And all of our stories, yes. you know, our experiences as well. So now we will talk about our woman of the week. This person is highly deserving of all the praise. And we think it's also very important that we uplift her story. So we're going to be talking about Meg Thee Stallion. As many of you know, um, she has really skyrocketed and taken off in so many ways and has really shaped a lot of the culture and music over the past like two summers. Um, in 2018, Meg became the very first female rapper to be signed by the record label 300 Entertainment. And within a few months, she made it to the top of the top 100 list um, on Billboard Hot Charts with the single Big Ol' Free. Also, one of her other accomplishments has been that in the past few months with the Savage remix with, with Beyonce that we all know and love, <laughs> uh, <laughs> she is now eligible for three times platinum on that song alone. And that's just really such an amazing accomplishment. Like, Mm -hmm. wow. Okay, so for anyone who doesn't know, there was a situation involving Megan Thee Stallion and Tory Lanez, um, allegedly. So basically, Megan went to a house party um, at Kylie Jenner's house. Everything was good and great at the party. It seemed like everything was fun. Um, There was, like, I think a live video of them all having fun, hanging out. So basically... Uh, Tory Lanez, Megan Thee Stallion, and Megan's best friend, I believe her name is Kelsey, were all in a car together, and when they emerged from the car, 
Um, and like after the police were called, you see Megan with bloody feet, like limping and trying to just get away from the car and, you know, get to the police. And we later find out, you know, through Megan that she was shot in her feet and there was bullet fragments in both of her feet. And I mean, her best friend didn't do this to her. So what we can surmise is that allegedly Tori Lanes was the one who shot her um that night and i think the situation has not gotten the outrage that it deserves and i think that that is because megan is a black woman and she's not light skin and she's confident in herself and i think people don't like that about her i just think there's a whole host of issues including some of the ones we talked about today in this episode yes. regarding colorism that affect her story mm-hmm. And just some of the things that people have said regarding the situation, like when she was in the hospital and we literally didn't know what happened besides the fact that she was shot, people were making jokes about, oh, I wish I was her doctor. Like these sexual jokes just being disgusting. People were acting as though, you know, she brought this on herself. Mm -hmm. People were thinking that, oh, you know, Meg probably did this. She probably deserved it. Or thinking it was a lover's quarrel. I mean, even fellow celebrities, I know that woman, Drea. Yeah. Um, she's a light-skinned woman, and she made a comment on a podcast saying that she wishes that she had that type of love where if she's going to try to leave the car and her guy doesn't want her to leave, that he would shoot her. <laughs> and I'm like, it's just so deranged. Very deranged. And I think this whole situation really aligns with everything we talked about before where when things happen to black women or dark-skinned women you don't see it in the media you don't see this constant outrage you don't see people taking it seriously it's almost as if we have to prove that something really bad did happen to us we have to come with the proof and we have to come with the evidence for people Mm -hmm. to even begin to think that we're victims it's really hard for people to believe that we can be victims. And I think that's rooted in a lot of different tropes that have reigned true from slavery and have really dictated how people see dark-skinned women in America. But it was just extremely sad to see her post that uh, like Instagram live where she discussed mm-hmm. the situation and she was talking about the story. And she was clearly in a very bad place and very hurt that the world had not come to her defense people had not given her the support that we should have seen and if this had been other celebrities lighter or whiter celebrities we would have seen people immediately jump to her defense we should have been seeing you know pray for meg we should have been seeing so many different you know, tweets and messages of people wishing and hoping that she's doing well and that her recovery process is going well. I mean, to get shot is such a traumatizing thing. Obviously, I can't speak from personal experience, but, you know, that's just, you could imagine that's very traumatizing. Mm-hmm. She could have died, honestly, if she could have, if something else happened. You don't really know the exact situation. Her life was put in danger and nobody cared. And even her career was put in danger. Mm-hmm. I mean, for Tori to allegedly shoot her in her feet, knowing she's an entertainer. Yeah. Like, 
so many things. Her career would have been over before it even was able to reach its full potential, mm-hmm. you know? And literally, instead of coming to her side and people coming out to support her and show love, people were on the internet making jokes and making memes and talking down on her. She's had a, such a tumultuous, like, year or two. Like, while she's had a great success, it's, you know, she's lost her mom and her grandmother. Right. And she also lost her dad when she was young, so she does not have any real family, like, mm-hmm. guiding her through this whole time. And I just know that's probably been so, so hard. And I'm like, she's an example of someone who needs all the love and compassion and support that she deserves and you know can get and she just hasn't been getting that and I also feel as though Tory Lanez has not been met with the back backlash and outrage that is deserved of this situation like I agree the fact that I've scrolled through YouTube and suggested videos have been like do you think Tory Lanez will be canceled and I'm like why is this a question he should just be automatically taken off everyone's playlists you know, like, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know. I just, if this had been, I mean, she attended this party at Ky- Kylie Jenner's house. If something had happened to Kylie Jenner, the world this would have, the world would have known. There would have been viral hashtags and we would still be actively talking about the situation today. Mm-hmm. And I also just think that you just really see how uh, transitory the love for black women can be everyone loves her when she drops a new song and mm-hmm. when she's creating new trends like hot girl summer and all this other stuff but then when it comes down to like an actual personal event that is affecting her emotional well-being people just switch off and don't care anymore and i think sometimes it really uh exemplifies how even when people uh you know claim they love black women or black performers it really it's for very selfish reasons and it's because they know that you know they can extract something from those artists from meg from other black women and that's really sad that's really sad that there can't just be this all-encompassing love that you see in other Mm -hmm. fan bases and for other celebrities and i think that kind of uh, goes back to what we were talking about before we started uh, recording today, but just the idea that people get uncomfortable when mm-hmm. Black people, like, step out of the box that, like, people made for them, oh, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. So, like, with Meg, it's like, okay, shut up and dance and rap, and we don't care, right. you know? Make us money. Yes, make us money. Okay, you're pretty, you could dance just stay in your lane, right, you know? Right. And people do that for every black person. Mm-hmm. You know, like this Meg situation just kind of represents a larger issue at whole. Yes. And so many times black women especially are put into boxes mm-hmm. and it's like just stay there. And those boxes are kind of dictated by the things we talked about today. They're dictated by your color, you know? Mm-hmm. They're dictated by your features, by your hair texture, by all of these subconscious, maybe not subconscious things that people think about you and you're made to be put in this box. And based on that, it's like people want to see how much humanity, humanity they give you. Right. I think that's so well said and so important. Even I remember, I think it was last summer when 
you've had like so many black women who are winning Miss America, Miss World, all that stuff. It was such a big thing because it was just traditionally known that black women were not supposed to win those titles and be in those roles. And again, we just, I think a lot of times you really do see how when black women try to, like you said, step out of the box and do things that people haven't done before, people get really angry, people get upset, people objectify and dehumanize black women and really try to do whatever they can to stop them from reaching, really breaking that glass ceiling. Mm-hmm. And it's sad because I've definitely experienced that in my own personal life. I know you too, you have too, Bria. And it, it's hard to overcome that. And it's hard to always feel like you're working against the fray and that you always have to keep pushing on no matter the circumstances. Um, you know, and for all my Black women out here who are going through that, because it shows up in so many different ways, just keep pushing and keep knowing that. Set the bar as high as you want to make it for yourself. Don't listen to other people's expectations. Don't listen to what people project onto you and put onto you. You are capable of so much and deserving of so much, uh, no matter what this world says about you. Wow. This this was a good segment. <laughs> it was. This was a good episode as, as a whole. I really enjoyed filming this one. And I think that this is probably one of the most important episodes we've done so far. Mm-hmm. And I really hope people listen and receive what we're saying. And again, to all the Black women, if nobody else got us, we got us. Right. Exactly. Exactly. You know, like, that's just so important. But yes, I think that we will see you guys next week. Mm-hmm. See you next week. Uh, next week, we're starting our mini series. We're going to be spilling all of the dirt about... <laughs> All of the dirt about, you know, getting into college, senior year, uh, freshman year, mm-hmm. and then, like, where we are now and what we are trying to do in the future. Yes. But if you want a little inside scoop into our process of getting into college, I would highly recommend tuning in uh, for the next three episodes. Yes. So, please enjoy. Uh, we really hope that this episode... Uh, was meaningful and you know just that you can really take something away from it and as Bria said we will see you next week bye guys bye